Cool. We're glad to have you out this morning. Um, we are wrapping up a sermon series that we've been in as a church called Neighboring and uh, looking at what it means to, to love our neighbors. I don't know if you've ever done any research into, um, into world religions. Uh, back when I was in Bible college studying to just become a pastor, one of my courses was on world religions. And over the years, I've just kind of been interested to see what was out there and what different people believe. But one thing that, that I've kind of discovered pretty quick is that the, the way of, of most religions and what it means to be a part of that faith, whatever that is, um, is pretty, for a lot of them, is, is really complicated and difficult to understand. Um, for example, Hinduism has many rituals and it shares all these different concepts with cosmology. Um, rather than have one uh, sacred text, like we have the Bible, there's multiple sacred texts that talk about all kinds of different things. Um, like mythology and philosophy and yoga and temples and, and on and on the list goes. Um, then there's Buddhism. If you've ever looked in the Buddhism, it has these four main truths that it ha- has. And then around those truths, it talks, uh, one of those is this thing called Samsara. And it has to do with the endless cycle of rebirth and how to get out of that. And the way out of that is actually through another eight principles, or they call them the eight noble, eight noble, uh, the noble eightfold path. Um, a, a different aspect of their faith. And I've tried to wrap my mind around how, how a lot of this works. And last summer, we even did a series on, on uh, that got into some of this. And it's complicated to understand, difficult to really wrap your mind around. Well, one of the things that I love about Christianity and the way of Christ is that it's actually really simple to understand. So if you're here this morning and you're investigating this thing called Christianity, and if you are, we're super stoked you're here, um, and you're wondering, what is, it, what is it all about? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus took the whole entire Bible, and he just, he just shrunk it, boiled it right down to two commands. It is all about loving God with everything that you have, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be a follower of Jesus? Do those two things well and everything else just will follow. Our faith is not, comp- it's not complicated, uncomfortable, and challenging at times. Absolutely. But, it, but, but what it means to be a follower of Jesus is, is really straightforward. He made it simple and clear. And over the last two weeks, we've been looking closely at this second command Jesus gave, the one to love our neighbors, and often when we think of this command to love our neighbors, um, a lot of times in the church we make this this metaphor about loving everybody out there, and what ends up happening is we just don't really end up loving anybody in particular, all the while forgetting that Jesus also meant us, for us to love our actual next door neighbors. And uh, when he said love your neighbors, he was also thinking of the families that live in your cul-de-sac. He was also thinking of the the other students that live across the hall in the dorm that you're staying in. He was also talking about the, the, the neighbors that live down the road, the next acreage to yours, whatever, wherever it is that you live. He was talking about loving those neighbors as well. And, and what's really cool is when we begin to take this command and live it out in our literal neighborhoods, it takes a command that we've complicated and makes it really clear and really simple. Love the people who live around you. And as we wrap up this series today, I'm sure that um, you might have some objections to doing this. Maybe even now you're just picturing in your head 
the people that live around you and you're going, you've got this objection and this objection and this objection. And what I'd like to do this morning as we wrap up this whole thing is, is, is go over a few more objections that you might have. And then I want to close off by getting super practical and putting a, a tool in your hand that will get you on the road to being a more loving neighbor. Um, I personally live just off of Malloy, Malloy Avenue in a uh, little subdivision. It has about 10 houses surrounding it. And just let me say, as, as we continue to be more about neighboring, I am by no means an expert at this whatsoever. Uh, my family is learning what this looks like um, to do this well. Um, and, and I'm just like everyone else. At the end of the day, I, end of the week, whatever it is, I prefer to just come on home and, and hide out in my, my house and just do my thing and shut myself off from the world. But this last week, I decided, okay, I'm just going to kind of have some free time. Uh, my window kind of lo- overlooks our, our, our little neighborhood there. And I was looking out, thinking about this week, and I just kind of prayed that, that, that prayer that we've been talking about throughout this series that is a good prayer to pray, and that's, God, how can I be a, a loving neighbor to the people that live around me? And so I, I prayed that prayer, and I was surprised how quickly the ideas came. I could, I could book our neighborhood clubhouse and have a game night. I could, uh, Becky and I could, could get a gift together, and we have a neighbor that's going to be having a baby soon, and we could get her a gift. I could have our next door, the people right beside us, they're an elderly couple, have them over for a card night. I mean, on and on the list came, and honestly, I was kind of like, okay, well, slow down, God. Um, uh, honestly, kind of regretting I asked the question. But here's all these things, and... Um, as I considered the many things that I could be doing, um, two thoughts really just kind of took center stage in, in my mind. The first thought was, I don't have time for that. And uh, a couple weeks back, we addressed this objection that is probably the biggest objection that people have is, I just don't have time for more relationships. And uh, the second thought I had went, went something like this. What if I do all this stuff and it just completely bombs? You know, what if no one shows up to game night? Or what if... Uh, someone does show up, and it's that neighbor who shows up to game night. Or what if a bunch of people show up, and we have a card night or something like that, and we're, we're talking, and we're laughing, and all this kind of stuff, but then all of a sudden, there's that moment that happens in conversation sometimes where it's just silence. And you're all trying to think of what to say, and you just can't think of anything, and it's just, it's just awkward, right? Lack of time is a big reason people object, but I think the second biggest reason and maybe for some, the biggest reason that people uh, go, I don't, I don't want a neighbor, I don't want to love my next door neighbors like you're talking about, is because of um, it, we're, we're, it's the excuses, I'm nervous or I'm afraid. It's an objection that has to do with fear. We just, eee, I don't like the idea of, of doing that. It makes me nervous. There's a story in the Bible where some guys dealt with fear and uh, this is a story where the nation of Israel has recently, they've all left Egypt, and uh, Moses is leading them out of Egypt, and as they are going through the desert and all this kind of stuff, they're getting close to the promised land where they're going, and just before they get to the promised land, Moses has the brilliant idea. He says, okay, I'm going to send out 12 spies, we're going to go into the land, and we're just going to kind of check it out and see what we're up against here in, in taking um, back the land. And as they go, the 12 spies come back, and two of them are full of courage. They are ready to just go march right in and take the land, and 10 of them are full of fear. And when Moses asks for a report from these 12 men, this is what they say. It's found in Numbers chapter 13. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you 
sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb, one of the two that was full of courage, he silenced the people before Moses and, and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And these 10 spies are basically saying, this is a bad idea. We should not go up to this land. Let's not take another step forward. In fact, let's retreat back to where it's safe. Let's shut the blinds and pretend like these people are not even there and like we're not even here either. Fear, at the end of the day, fear stinks. And all of us in this room, we've experienced fear at one time or another in our lives. But but fear stinks. Um... And what it does more than anything else is it paralyzes us. It stops us in our tracks. And there's a number of ways that fear does this. The first thing that it it does is is fear causes us to play it safe rather than trust God and step out where things could get messy. It causes us to just play it safe. So here's these 12 spies, and they're looking at this land, and they know that when they go into this land, it's not going to be an easy journey. There's, there's people that live there. They know that there's going to be war. There's going to be battle. There's going to be um, families that are going to be separated. People are going to lose their lives. In short, it's, it's not going to be clean. It's going to be, it's going to be messy. And so they just decide, hey, uh, let's, let's just play it safe. And in fact, they end up going, let's, let's go back to Egypt. And uh, where it was familiar, and although less than ideal, in their minds they had this picture that, well, at least it was safe back there in Egypt. We knew what, we could have control somewhat of how things turned out. And maybe for you, the idea of loving your neighbor and engaging your neighbors, maybe for you it just causes this fear to just kind of rise up inside of you. You think, man, if I reach out, if I engage, I might get rejected, or they might think it's weird that just now, after 10 years of living beside them, now I'm finally starting to try to, to engage and show that I care. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, if I, go, if, if I engage and, and get doing life with this group of people, man, they're going to have a bad influence on my kids. And uh, this past summer, uh, me and one of my neighbors I did a lot, a fair bit of crabbing together. And um, one of the times that we went out crabbing, we got this like massive, massive load of crabs. I mean, it was crazy how many crabs we had between his kids and my kids and all that kind of stuff. Well, we thought, okay, let's all get together. And he, he ended up, uh, this guy loves to cook. Um, if you heard me talk about the July, 4th of July and this guy who cooked all this carne asada for us, the same guy, he loves to cook. So he said, hey, let's have all the crab over at my place. He has this secret recipe that he cooks his crab in which is phenomenal. And so we all, we all come over there. Our whole family's over there at his house, and we're just having this good old time, and uh, we're talking about different things. And eventually, the topic of conversation turned to our families, and it turned to daughters. He has some daughters, and I have some daughters. And so we started talking about, about our daughters. And um, as we're chatting, we ended up, um, the conversation turned to, to dating. 
and, uh, which as a dad of daughters always gets me in a bad mood when we go there. But here we are, we're talking about dating, and as we, as we started to talk about dating, he uh, just had this, this uh, um, light bulb moment where he recalled this, this movie scene that he had seen where uh, the, the, uh, there was a dad and he had a daughter and the, the daughter's date was coming over to pick her up for the first time. And when he came over to pick her up for the first time, the dad grilled this kid. And so my neighbor goes rummaging through his online video file to find, find this video clip because he just had to show it right there, right there in the moment. He had to show us this video clip. And so he pulls this up. I think it was from Bad Cops or something like that. But as he pulls this up, my whole family is there in the front room, right? Eight-year-old, 10-year-old daughter, we're all there in the front room as he's pulling this up. And as he clicks play, it is like one F-bomb after another F-bomb after another F-bomb, just bam, 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 back to back, back to back. And I'm quickly, my brain is scrambling because I'm going, I can't ask him to turn it off because that would seem kind of rude, right? Like you're at someone's house and, uh, can you turn that off because we can't hear that stuff with our ears. Uh, so I, I think I just quickly asked the youngest girls, hey, why don't you guys go play upstairs or something like that? But here's the deal. It's messy. It is, it's messy when you begin to engage people that, that, that are, are different than you or believe different than you or value different than you. It doesn't always just go super super smooth, and, and loving your, your neighbors and people for that matter, it, it, it will be messy. And Jesus understood this, but he loved anyway. I mean, he never played it safe. He hangs out with this guy named Zacchaeus, who's this notorious tax collector that nobody wants to be around. He, hang out, he hung out and befriended people who had no social etiquette. He loves the outcast. He went into homes that most religious people would just flat out Avoid, he just dove right into the messiness, fearless and courageous. And being a loving neighbor will absolutely require you to do the same, to just dive into the messiness. Another thing that fear does is fear distorts our perspective. So you have these, these uh, 10 spies that come back from this land. And just think about this for a second. For these 10 spies in this story to have seemed like grasshoppers, the other guys would have had to be like the tallest Douglas fir tree or spruce tree that we have around here. Now, is that really how, how they were? No, it, it was not like that. But these guys had so much fear, it just distorted their perspective. And, and fear does this. It changes our perspective of others. You think, okay, that one neighbor who never shows his face, hardly ever see him, he must have something to hide. He must be some kind of shady character because I just never see that person probably hire, hi, hiding out from the mob or the cops or something like that. It changes your perspective. And fear not only changes how we see others, it also changes how we assume that others see us. So I don't know if you caught at the end of, as the spies are spreading all these, these rumors among the people, they talk about how, how the other people also saw them as grasshoppers. And again, think about this for a second. Did, they, did the spies sit down with some people from the other land and have, have lunch and coffee and have a chit-chat about how, they didn't do any of that, but fear just changed their perspective of how they thought the others saw them. And this happens all the time. You see yourself as small. You see yourself as unimportant or socially awkward. And what do you do? You assume that others see you the same. And what's interesting about the story with the 10 spies is that 
40 years later, they would actually go into the land and, uh, uh, and some, some more spies would actually end up coming in contact with a lady named Rahab. And Rahab would explain to them that, hey, this whole nation is trembling in fear because we heard about how God separated the Red Sea. Their perspective was, was completely wrong. And these people were just as afraid of the Israelites as the Israelites were of them. Isn't that how it works so often? And we discovered too late that fear has distorted our perspective. And with the, the Israelites, because they decided to play it safe and because they decided not to go into the land, um, if you're familiar with the story, it actually doesn't end very well. They ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And most of those who wandered, they never entered the promised land, which leads to one other thing that fear does. And this is a biggie. Fear keeps you from the blessings that God wants to pour out on you and it keeps others from the blessings that God wants to pour out through you. Fear stops all that from happening. Jesus said in Luke 10 that when we love God and when we love our neighbors, that's where we find life. That's where we live. And, it, it, and it's, it, that's where, where life just flows. Not just um, for us, but for our neighbors as well. And, and I'm convinced that if we as a church, and by church, I'm not just talking CTK Ferndale, this is something that we are doing as a network right across the county. As, as we as a church begin to step outside, push past our fear, rearrange our schedules, and begin to love those that live around us, um, there's going to be a huge blessing that's going to come as a result of that. Another objection that people have, so they object because it's just it's too scary, I'm too afraid. Another objection that people have to the idea of neighboring isn't that they're afraid. It's an objection that actually has to do with a misunderstanding of what this is all about. You see the graphics and you see the little thing on your seat beside you and you go, oh, whoa, 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 wait a sec. I'm, just, I'm not into a church campaign. I'm not, I'm not into a camp. I'm not, I'm not a campaigner, no, none of that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, been, been there, been, done that. Uh, don't want to go there. Well, just so you know, to put you at ease, I'm not really a campaign guy either. And also, this, this is not actually about a campaign. It's not a campaign. We're not going to be dishing out signs uh, as you're heading out the door today that says, love your neighbor. I love you. You know, none of that kind of stuff. This is not a church campaign. Um, but let me tell you what this is about. It's actually about a prayer that Jesus prayed. He prayed this. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, our Heavenly Father, something you have to understand about our Heavenly Father is that our Heavenly Father is a king. And in his kingdom is about right living that leads to joy, it leads to peace, it leads to contentment, it leads to, 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 to love, all these things that everybody wants. That's what God's kingdom is about. And what's interesting here in this prayer is that Jesus does not pray Father, I pray that one day people will go to heaven and experience your kingdom. No, he actually prays, God, let your kingdom come today. Let your kingdom come right now, in this moment. Let your kingdom come. And we don't have to wait for heaven. You know, a lot of Christians have this idea that, that the kingdom of God is somewhere way out there. It's up in heaven. That's actually not what Jesus was getting at. He's saying, God, let your kingdom come right here in, in the here and now. Let it be a reality here. But how can men and women experience life in his kingdom? How, how do they do that? Well, the answer to this question is actually at the heart of why Jesus came to this earth in the first place. 
Eugene Peterson, um, in the, the message uh, paraphrase of, of the Bible, he captures a really beautiful truth at the heart of what Scripture is about found in John chapter 1. And listen, and listen to what, what it says here. It says, the word became flesh and blood. This is talking about Jesus, God Almighty. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like the Father, like the Son, like, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. You see, the Father and his kingdom became a reality on earth, on this earth, when Jesus stepped down out of heaven, heaven and stepped into our neighborhood. Now, now here's what you need to, to just catch this morning. Jesus wants to step into your neighborhoods as well. Well, how does Jesus step into our, our, our neighborhood? Um, how, does, how does he do that? Well, he does that. He wants to move into the neighborhood through you and through me. You see, he steps into our neighborhood when we decide to step out of our front door, when we decide to step across the property line that divides our house from the next house, when we decide to, to, to reach out, to go to the neighborhood playground, whatever it looks like to, to step out, that's what, what Jesus is calling us to do. And this is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's loving God and loving your neighbors. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. It is about loving your neighbor. Love your neighbor, no exceptions. This means love your, your, your political nutcase neighbor. It means love your Muslim neighbor. It means love your gay neighbor. It means love your neighbor of color. It means love your net redneck neighbor. It means love your white neighbor, your religious neighbor, your atheist neighbor, your addicted neighbor. See what Jesus is getting at? It's, it's love your neighbor. Jesus did not put an, a, a clause in there. Love your neighbor, but if they're like this, don't. No, he just said, love your, your neighbor. Loving God and our neighbors is God's method for us to, to, to live out what it means to be God's representative of his kingdom here on earth. To which someone might voice another objection. Well, that sounds like there's an ulterior motive here to convert people. And, and again, that is not what this is about. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we have been converted, because we've been saved. And, and when you have encountered the love of God, you know what the outflow, the natural outflow of someone who has encountered the love of God is? It's that they would love people. They would just love people. Not because it's a, a, an assignment that you, you got on Sunday morning or because that's what the Bible says I should do. No, the natural outflow of someone who's encountered the love of God is that you would just, your life would be poured out in loving people. And, and now, of course, uh, we really believe, if we really believe what we say about Jesus and about life in his kingdom, that yes, we want all people to know Christ like we've come to know him. But that can't be some ulterior motive in, in loving your neighbor. Jesus, Jesus does not call us to do that. He doesn't say, he doesn't say convert your neighbor. What does he say? He says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's what he's commanded us to do. And as you live your life with people, as you live your life surrounded by people and engage with people, your story and your faith, you know what, it's eventually going to come out. Just like if you had a, a, a Hindu neighbor, their story and their faith is eventually going to come out as you just do life together. But when it, when it, when it comes out of relationship, 
Um, if you're about loving people sincerely, then it's not going to be weird. It's not going to be forced. It'll just be you being you. Which leads to one final objection. Well, Rich, I don't even, I don't know where to start. I don't know where, where, do, where do I start? Well, you know where it needs to start? It needs to start with one step. Just one step. And this is so profound. It's so earth-shaking. Um, if you don't have a pen, you're going to want to grab your pen like right now and write this down. The first step is this. Wait for it. Wait for it. The first step is to introduce yourself. How's that for profound, right? Introduce yourself. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know how many, we're not going to do show of hands or anything, but how many of you in this room could go, okay, if I look at the eight people who live closest to me, I can tell you all their names right now. My guess is not a whole lot of us could do that. But it starts with introducing yourself. Hey, my name's Rich. I live just down the street in the house with the big yellow door. And I know what you might be thinking, um, you know, but I'll just forget their name, so what's the point? And, and then that makes the, the next interaction a little more awkward because now I have to ask for their name again. Well, well, here's a little tip for you. If you forget, just go check their mail, okay? You'll, you'll get their names back really quick. <laughs> don't do that. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's a federal offense. Don't, don't be doing that. But I want to I actually show you a better way. Um, and there's this little tool. When you came in this morning, you probably saw this on a seat beside you. Just a simple little card. And on that, it says, who is my neighbor? And if you have a pen and a paper right now, I'd encourage you to just look at that. And, and the idea is there's, there's nine houses and there's, you are here in the middle. And, and if you have a pen and paper, I encourage you, even right now, take a moment, write down the names of your closest neighbors. And, and uh, whether those neighbors are in a uh, subdivision that you live in or an apartment Maybe it's the people that live right beside you if you're in an apartment or up and down. I don't know, however you want to do it. But who are the people that live closest to you? Now, um, some people have called this the, uh, it, it's, it's a uh, neighborhood map. Other people have called it the map of shame. <laughs> because it's surprising how, how many just can't name their neighbors. And, and it, isn't that a bit of a problem? Let me just be honest this morning. If we're going to be about loving our neighbors and we don't even know what their first name is. And you can't really love somebody and engage with someone if you just don't even know their name. And so, I mean, a, a, a super simple step is for you just to begin to, to, get, to get some names. And if you're going to love them well, um, it's important to know a name. You know, something so powerful about a name isn't there. You know, it's, it's completely different when you're in your neighborhood and your next door neighbor says, hey, how's it going? Versus, hey, Rich, how's it going? Doesn't that just change the whole dynamic of the interaction? There's something powerful about knowing somebody's name and just engaging them by, by saying, hey, how's it going with, the, with their name attached to that. Now, chances are you were given a name at some point with some neighbors and you forgot um, it's a, it's a simple saying, hey, I'm so, sorry, I forgot your name. Could you give it to me one more time? Or maybe it's, I'm sorry, I forgot it for the hundredth time. I know, I'm terrible with names. Could you give me your name one more time? Maybe some of you have been, you're going, Rich, this would be a little odd for me to get my neighbor's name because I've been living in the same house right beside him for 20 years and we've never interacted. 
Well, for you, it's, actually, it's going to involve some humility because you're going to have to probably go up and, and say something like, hey, I have to apologize. We've been living next door for eons, and I've realized I don't even know your name. Hey, my name is Rich. What's your name? And as you get to know people's name, then it's as simple as, as, as asking Jesus, Lord, how do you want me to, or here's the names on this, this little map, Lord, how do you want me to begin to love the people that you've put around me? And I can tell you, when you sincerely pray that prayer, he's going to show you. He's going to show you what it looks like to, to be Jesus in your neighborhood. And make no mistake about it, God has put you where you live for a reason. We looked at this back in, in week one, Acts chapter 17. It talks about how God puts us where we, he puts us so that, so that people have a way to kind of see what the kingdom of God is like. It's like you are the handles that people grab onto in your neighborhood, the handles they grab onto if they really want to find out what, what, what this life is about, even what, what our faith is all about. God has put you there for a reason. And, and my challenge to all of us is, is don't hide. Don't hide. Be people that love. Be, be a light. Um, be, be a person that goes, okay, Jesus has put me here. I'm going to do whatever I can to love the people that he's put around me. I'm not going to hide in my home. I'm not going to hide out in my car. I'm not going to hide out in my backyard that's got a 10-foot high fence or whatever that is. I'm going to take a step. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out. I'm going I'm to start by simply getting the names of the people who live around me. And, and imagine what will happen as we begin to just get behind this, as we begin to live differently than everybody else. I'm telling you, this is, this is not how people live. I've been in Ferndale for eight and a half years. And in all those eight and a half years, I've been in neighborhoods where the houses are literally like right there. People don't live like this. Maybe they did back in the 40s and the 50s, but they don't live like this today. It's shut the blinds. It's like scurry out and do my garden work and scurry back in and scurry out over here and scurry back in. Take the kids here and scurry back in, go to work. We're like yo-yos. <laughs> it's like in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, but never like stop and just engage in the people around us. And my challenge for all of us as we wrap this up is to be people that live differently. To live like people that, that, first of all, we love Jesus and we take his command seriously to love our neighbors as ourselves. And let's begin to do that. And as we begin to do that, um, who knows what God might do. And so would you pray with me as we close off this service and just pray that God empowers us and strengthens us to live differently. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you've made the gospel. You've made life for the follower of Jesus really simple and clear you never made it easy, but God, you did make it simple and you did make it clear what it means. It's about loving you, Jesus, with all we have, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, saying, Jesus, I desire you, I want you, I love you. And then, Jesus, it's going and, and loving our neighbors as, as ourselves. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that, that Lord, you would help us to be people that do that. God, I pray that these two commands would be commands that, that are constantly at the forefront of our lives. 
God, let them never get far from us. Lord, Lord I pray that, that this week and the week after and the month after, that Jesus, every time we step out of our house, every time we look around at the neighbors that live across the street or across the hall, Lord, I pray that you would pop this command right there into the front of our minds, that God, we would constantly be thinking about how we can love our neighbors as ourselves. God, don't let this command ever get far from us remind us. God, I pray for everybody in this room that, God, you remind us, remind us, remind us over and over and over again to be people that love. And then, God, as you begin to show us how to do this, God, as you begin to put opportunities in our lap, God, maybe we're going to be going out this week to check the mail, and in that moment, our neighbor's doing it at the same time, and typically, we would just go and, and do our own thing, but God, that's an opportunity that you're giving us to give a simple introduction and God, I pray that when those opportunities come along, that we would, God, that we would, that we would push through fear, God, that we would push through stuff that says we don't have time, God, whatever the, the thing is, the excuse that, that pops up, God, that we would just, God, in simple faith and trust and obedience to you, that, God, we would step through that and be people that engage our neighbors, love our neighbors, just like you would if you were living in that neighborhood. And so, Father, to do this, we need your help. And God, we need hearts that love you greatly and just want to obey you and follow you. And so help us as we move forward. And uh, I pray that, Jesus, you would change, um, God, just even the spiritual landscape of our community. God, how cool would it be if, if the church was just known for the, this love that we have for one another? God, how, how awesome would that be if people just looked at us and they're like, man, I don't understand what they believe. I don't even know what they believe. But man, they sure know how to love. They sure know how to engage. They sure seem to care. They sure seem to be compassionate. God, I pray that that would be what, what happens, God, God, in this community as we begin to step out and love those around us. I pray all this in your good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.